Part 1, Chapter 15 of The Patrician by John Goldsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part 1, Chapter 15. Exultation had not left Milton. His sallow face was flushed, his eyes glowed with a sort of beauty. And Audrey Nurl, who, better than most women, could read what was passing behind a face, saw those eyes with the delight of a moth fluttering towards a lamp. But in a very unemotional voice she said, "'So you come to breakfast. How nice of you.' It was not in Milton to observe the formalities of attack. Had he been going to fight a duel, there would have been no preliminary, just a look, a bow, and the swords crossed. So in this first engagement of his with the soul of a woman. He neither sat down nor suffered her to sit, but stood looking intently into her face, and said, I love you. Now that it had come with this disconcerting swiftness, she was strangely calm and unashamed. The elation of knowing for sure that she was loved was like a wand waving away all tremors, stilling them to sweetness. Since nothing could take away that knowledge, it seemed that she could never again be utterly unhappy. Then, too, in her nature, so deeply, unreasoningly incapable of perceiving the importance of any principle but love, there was a secret feeling of assurance, of triumph. He did love her, and she, him. Well, and suddenly panic-stricken lest he should take back those words, she put her hand up to his breast and said, And I love you. The feel of his arms round her, the strength and passion of that moment, was so terribly sweet that she died to thought, just looking up at him, with lips parted and eyes darker with the depths of her love than he had ever dreamed that eyes could be. The madness of his own feeling kept him silent. And they stood there, so merged in one another that they knew and cared nothing for any other mortal thing. It was very still in the room, the roses and carnations in the luster-bowl seeming to know that their mistress was caught up into heaven, had let their perfume steal forth and occupy every cranny of the abandoned air. A hovering bee, too, circled round the lovers' heads, scenting, it seemed, the honey in their hearts. It has been said that Milton's face was not unhandsome. For ordinary Noel at this moment, when his eyes were so near hers and his lips touching her, he was transfigured, and had become the spirit of all beauty. And she, with heart beating fast against him, her eyes half closing from delight, and her hair asking to be praised with its fragrance, her cheeks fainting pale with emotion, and her arms too languid with happiness to embrace him, she, to him, was the incarnation of the woman that visits dreams. So passed that moment. The bee ended it who, impatient with flowers that hid their honey so deep, had entangled himself in Audrey's hair. And then, seeing that words, those dreaded things, were on his lips, she tried to kiss them back. But they came. When would you marry me? It all swayed a little, and with Martha's rapidity the whole position started up before her. She saw with preternatural insight into his nooks and corners, Something he had said one day when they were talking of the church view of marriage and of divorce lighted all up. 
so he had really never known about her. At this moment of utter sickness, she was saved from fainting by her sense of humour, her cynicism. Not content to let her be, people's tongues had divorced her. He believed them. And the crown of irony was that he should want to marry her, when she felt so utterly, so sacredly his, to do what he liked with sans forms or ceremonies. A surge of bitter feeling against the man who stood between her and Milton almost made her cry out. That man had captured her before she knew the world or her own soul, and she was tied to him, till by some beneficent chance he drew his last breath when her hair was grey and her eyes had no love-light and her cheeks no longer grew pale when they were kissed, when twilight had fallen and the flowers and bees no longer cared for her. It was that feeling, the sudden revolt of the desperate prisoner, which steeled her to put out her hand, take up the paper and give it to Milton. When he had read the little paragraph, there followed one of those eternities which lasted perhaps two minutes. He said then, It's true, I suppose. And at her silence added, I am sorry. This queer, dry saying was so much more terrible than any outcry that she remained, deprived even of the power of breathing, with her eyes still fixed on Milton's face. A smile of the old cardinal had come up there, and was to her like a living accusation. It seemed strange that the hum of the bees and flies and the gentle swishing of the lime-tree should still go on outside, insisting that there was a world moving and breathing apart from her, and careless of her misery. Then some of her courage came back, and with it her woman's mute power. It came haunting about her face, perfectly still, about her lips, sensitive and drawn, about her eyes, dark, almost mutinous under their arched brows. She stood, drawing him with silence and beauty. At last he spoke. I have made a foolish mistake, it seems. I believed you were free. Her lips just moved for the words to pass. I thought you knew. I never dreamed you would want to marry me. It seemed to her natural that he should be thinking only of himself, but with the subtlest defensive instinct she put forward her own tragedy. I suppose I got too used to knowing I was dead. Is there no release? None. We have neither of us done wrong. Besides, with him, marriage is forever. My God! She had broken his smile, which had been cruel without meaning to be cruel. And with a smile of her own, that was cruel too, she said, I didn't know that you believed in release either. Then, as though she had stabbed herself in stabbing him, her face quivered. He looked at her now, conscious at last that she was suffering. And she felt that he was holding himself in with all his might from taking her again into his arms. Seeing this, the warmth crept back into her lips, and a little light into her eyes, which she kept hidden from him. Though she stood so proudly still, some wistful force was coming from her as from a magnet, and Milton's hands and arms and face twitched as though palsied. This struggle, dumb and pitiful, seemed never to be coming to an end in the little white room, 
darkened by the thatch of the veranda, and sweet with the scent of pinks and of a wood fire just lighted somewhere out at the back. Then, without a word, he turned and went out. She heard the wicket gate swing too. He was gone. End of Part 1 Chapter 15